Welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Clausen, and today I have Lynn Bowman on with me. Um, she is the author of the new Brownies for Breakfast, a cookbook for diabetics and the people who love them. So welcome to the show today, Lynn. Thank you. I am really, really happy to be here. Great to meet you too, yes. Andrea. Yes, like you what you're doing. Well. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I would love to know a little bit more about yourself and how you found your own wellness journey. <laughs> I think it found me, actually, ah. uh, which is true with a lot of people. And one of the things that I like to talk about is that I learned pretty early in my adult life that I had type 2 diabetes. I was in my early 40s, which doesn't sound early. But um, the problem with a lot of chronic diseases, and especially diabetes, is that people don't know they have them. And, and by the time in their 50s, 60s, 70s, they're diagnosed with diabetes or a heart condition, they've been, the problem has been growing for decades. And so damage has been done. So I love talking to people, especially younger people, about how even though you don't know it, you don't feel it, you don't see it, you don't have symptoms, please everybody be tested for, for diabetes at a reasonable time. Get a, a hemoglobin A1C uh, as part of your routine. And what happened to me, as happens to a lot of women, is I had gestational diabetes with my first child. But the first indication of that was that he was 10 pounds when he was born. And the doctors, both men at the time assisting me in North Carolina, wow, he's big. You might have had diabetes. Yeah, mm. I might. But in those days, they didn't test pregnant women, particularly, weren't looking for it. So they told me at that time that I would probably develop type 2 diabetes mm. and in my 40s. And so, you know, a couple more kids, crazy life. And as my 40s rolled around, I thought, oh, yeah, I, I should probably take a look at that. But I couldn't convince my doctors, I think mostly OBs at that point in my life, as it is with most women, no one thought, well, you're not overweight and you don't have, you know. so I had a hard time getting anyone to give me a hemoglobin A1C test. And finally, when I did, sure enough, numbers were edging into diabetic range. Mm -hmm. So I got a head start on it. And what I realized, two things, one, I was on my own because really no one in the medical community was equipped to help. There was very little nutritional information given out in those days by docs. Um, what they thought about type two diabetes is different than they think now. Mm -hmm. And so I realized I was on my own, you know, basically to do research, to figure it out. And I was a single mother by that time of three little ones. And I was determined that I was going to stay healthy. I was going to stay on my feet. My mother had died young. Uh, mm -hmm. She died in her 40s when I was 18. Mm -hmm. So I knew early in my life what chronic disease does to families. You know, people don't stop and think it's not just you. You know, it, people are financially devastated by chronic disease in this country. And your family is devastated in many ways, especially when a mom is ill or a mom dies. 
So I just, I did a kind of a Scarlett O'Hara thing, but by golly, I am going to live. I'm going <laughs> to live through this and I'm going to raise my kids and I'm going to be as healthy as I can be. So that became my personal mission. And then I realized how many people around me didn't understand what they were doing when they were eating the, you know, the sad diet, the standard American diet, as they call it. Um, it's it's kind of frightening when you when you become really aware of food and what people are doing, what people are drinking and eating. Uh, I try not to scream and grab things out of their mouths, <laughs> but, but I want everybody to know. I want everybody to be healthy and old like I am. And one day, because you know what? It's great. I love being 75. This is cool. Uh, I, I, I know you have clients, Andrea, who are um, in my age group. And if you can still use most of your body parts and, you know, dance and sing and uh, play, you're good. Being older is wonderful if you're mm. healthy. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, that's one. I have a grandma who is 95 and she, well, last year she had to have 23 centimeters of her small intestine removed. But minus that, um, until then, I mean, even now, like she's in good spirits, but she's not, she can't walk the best anymore. She has to have, use a walker, which she never used to yeah. until that surgery, but she, yeah. you know, it still is, you know, sharp, capable, you know, I come over and chat with her. Um, and so that's, and that she has diabetes as well. And she developed it probably around in her forties or fifties as well. Cause I remember it when it happened. And so that's where it also intrigues me, you know, with this cookbook and I know she has mm-hmm. taken really good care of herself through the years and has managed it. Well, her mother died good. at the age of 91, still yeah. quite well with diabetes, but it was complications is why she passed away. Um, right. you know, and my dad remembers, you know, his grandma not taking care. I mean, it was a miracle that she probably made it to 91. Cause he was like, yeah, she didn't. I mean, maybe it was just two of this, as you were saying, probably she probably didn't have the knowledge because this would have been a long time yeah. ago, you know, yeah. and she was eating sweet still. And um, so that's kind of intrigues me about this, this cookbook that you have, you know, because I know this is something that people are, um, you know, they don't necessarily want to take all of the sugar or the sweetness. They want some of that yummy desserts, but, you know, telling people you can never have something again, or, you know, stay away from that. Usually it kind of has that opposite effect on people. So what kind of inspired you to create the, you know, your cookbook? Well, a couple of things, Andrea. It, it, first of all, um, <laughs> being the mother of many, I my superpower was putting a meal on the table in 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I didn't do anything in my kitchen that wasn't pretty fast and easy, but it had to be healthy too. So, so when I when it came time to put in, this isn't the first cookbook I've done, but this is the first one that is specifically for diabetics and the people who love them. And I want to say that it is the same prescription, friends and neighbors. It is exactly the same thing. If you have heart disease, you're trying to prevent or re- reverse. Almost any chronic disease is going to be improved if you eat a plant-based whole food diet, which is what my cookbook is. Um, so it's, it's not just diabetics. It's all of us actually who would be healthier eating this way. And so it's simple. So it's doable and it is whole foods. And what people are startled by, I think when they really taste the food and see the food, you're, you start eating better stuff. It's prettier. 
It's more fragrant. It tastes fantastic. It's not different. The stuff in my cookbook, I mean, brownies, you know, first of all, that's the first recipe in the book because who doesn't love a brownie? And my brownies are made with pumpkin and nut butter and either egg substitute or eggs, no flour, no sugar, no oil. So what you're eating or what you're giving your grandma or your baby, if you're giving one of these brownies to someone you love, is a meal. It's good food. It's something, and the interesting that happen, thing that happens too, people notice this, that you can eat one of those brownies, you can eat two of those brownies, and all of a sudden you go, wait, that's, that's enough. Because when your body has had actual nutrition, nutrient-dense food, it signals you that it's had enough, as opposed to the foods that most people are eating out of a bag. And those foods are actually engineered so that you will eat more. Um, and that's the thing we can talk about more. You probably know about this already, but there's a, a thing called craveability that food scientists, and I'm putting quotes around scientists, know that they need to put in the products of manufacturers so that their Doritos will be consumed totally, whole bag. And so you'll come back for another bag of Doritos. So there is a whole industry working to have you eating as much. Can I say crap on the show? Is that yeah, right? That's fine. Okay, good. I love that. One. There's a whole industry working hard to make sure you eat as much crap as possible, as opposed to those of us in the sort of healing end of things who are trying to get you to eat as much good food as you want. But when you eat that good food, you can't just keep eating. Your body goes, okay, thanks. That was great. That was enough. And you hear so many people talk about their issues with eating all day or eating all night and not being able to not finish the bag of this or the, the bowl of ice cream or the carton of ice cream. If you're eating plant-based whole food that you know is good food, that's not a problem anymore. You just literally can't overeat very successfully. Your body won't let you do it. So that's a secret I think some people <laughs> don't know um, that I think is huge. Uh, so no, you're not giving up yummy things that you absolutely love. You're gaining a whole world of really delicious stuff. Some of it might be a little different. Um, I, I have recipes in my book for donuts. Hello, <laughs> what? You can bake these donuts yourself easily in a donut baking pan that you buy on Amazon or wherever you buy stuff. And they are made with sometimes chickpea flour, uh, made with uh, also the uh, pumpkin. Pumpkin turns out to be this fantastic ingredient that you can have tons of it in your, in your pantry, in cans. And it's a substitute for oil and flour. So instead of using oil and flour in baked goods, you use the pumpkin. If you make a chocolate thing, you can't taste the pumpkin. All you know is it's rich and yummy, like in the, in the uh, brownies I talked about. But there's no processed flour and there's no added oil. It's just all delicious food. Now, the reason that you care about the processed flour, two things, gluten people are aware of now is a problem for many people. The other thing is 
a lot of people don't understand that it isn't just sugar that's a problem for diabetics and everyone. It's processed flours that on the on the the glycemic index, we'll talk about that in a minute, they are just as reactive in your body as sugar or more so. So things like white flour, uh, processed potatoes, processed flours, you might as well eat sugar. Mm. And when you think about what most people are eating three times a day, they're driving through. So they're eating bread made with flour that is basically non-nutrient. There's nothing in there that is feeding your body, but you might as well be eating sugar. And plus you're having maybe a soda or you're not having the soda, but you're driving through for your coffee. And let's talk about that for a minute <laughs> because we're all right. We're all in Starbucks and Pete's and those places. We grab the, the cup and we go, but only part of that's coffee. And the rest of it is what it's sugary stuff to make it taste like something uh, or it's dairy products. And I would love to convince people to stop using even people that don't seem to be reacting from it, dairy. I don't have dairy in my ingredients at all because the, the kind of dairy that we're eating today, many of us, the factory farmed dairy, the cows that are squished together and are shot full of antibiotics, the dairy has no nutritional value that you need and it has a great deal of sort of polluting ingredients in it that you don't want in your kids' bodies or your body. So a lot of people, this is a head scratcher for people, dairy, you know, it's always been good for us. And you're Midwestern, Andrea, and you know, cows, dairies, everybody loves cows and ice cream and dairies. But the state of the dairy industry today is such that if you don't know that cow by her first name, and if you don't know the farmer who feeds that cow and where that cow eats, you shouldn't be using the dairy product out of that cow. Not good. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we have, um, I mean, my brother has cows, but he has beef cows, but my, our neighbors on the street, they have dairy cows. And, um, I mean, I, I am not a big dairy person, but I react to it. Like I have found and, um, just Most a brief story. Do. Yeah. This is a story. My son, um, so he, I've never given him milk and he's five and he just started kindergarten. And, um, he went to school and was having chocolate milk. And I was like, Oh gosh, no. You know, I'm like, I told his teacher, I was like, I prefer having water, but obviously she can't watch, you know, she's got 23 kids. Yeah. So yeah. I told him and he came home, um, probably a couple of weeks after having milk or chocolate milk for lunch and, um, started having like sniffles, runny nose. And for me, my yeah. Ayurvedic side, I'm like, Oh, this is very coughish. Like your body just does not be able to process it. And it's a lot of mucusy runny stuff, which can happen in kids. And so I told him, um, you know, Hey, how about we just stop doing this? And I think you're runny nose will clear up. And, you know, again, five-year-old who knows if he's going to listen, but he actually did. And he came home and probably in a couple of days it cleared up. And he was like, yeah, mom, I think I'm not going to do milk anymore. I'll just bring my water. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like he saw it, how his own body reacted. And that's something that I think, um, you know, as a parent with kids, you know, how can you teach kids, you know, about food and, you know, not just tell them here, don't do this or don't do that, but yeah, like, here, yeah. let's just make it an experiment. Like, this is what your body did when it had it. You didn't like it. Absolutely. And I then now this, this is what story. happens that it cleared up. And so like stuff like that, I think is how we can teach kids, you know, how 
you know, hopefully maybe, and the same thing with McDonald's, you know, if they really like McDonald's, but then I'm like, well, how do you feel after it? You know, don't just say, no, you can never have that because I find that that usually is as adults, kids just crave the thing that they were told not to do as, you know, as a kid, but, you know, teaching, how do you feel? And I don't feel that great. Well, great. You know, let's, let's choose a different choice next time. Thank you for bringing that up. I am so happy to hear your story. And a lot of my book is actually dedicated to how to bring kids into your eating rituals. I mean, so many people now, the kids don't have kitchen responsibilities anymore because they're going to Mandarin or they're playing the violin or they're this or they're that. And I feel so strongly that if you lose table culture in your household, you're losing so much more than than food nutrition. You know, you're you're losing a lot. And uh, so I think it's really important that the kids know what they're eating that they help you cook from the get-go. I mean, from diapers, practically. Mm-hmm. Um, they can be handing you things and stirring things and forming things with their hands, and they love doing it. And what a kid makes, a kid will eat. Mm-hmm. And that's huge that people may not really understand, that they talk about fussy eaters. Well, uh, make him a fussy cooker, see how he does, you know? Yeah. And uh, it's, it's a huge... And then the other thing my kids always did with me was reading labels. Uh, when we would make a, a foray to the grocery store, all of us, their job was to the things that they were looking for on the bottom shelves. If they could read the label themselves, they did. If they couldn't read the label themselves, they got help. But they learned really quickly what was actually in those boxes in the grocery store. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge, kids love that stuff. You know, they like to be detective. They like to be the one who knows how things work and um and kids love to cook and they love to have that competence they love to be able to say no no i cleared the table i know mm-hmm. how to do it i made the dishwasher go i can do it yeah kids love that stuff and you're actually you're denying them something important i think when they're not included even though moms i know it's hard it's hard to teach them as you're doing it it's hard to include them at first but then guess what then they know how to do it and they know you expect it and then when they're a guest in somebody else's home and they get up from the table hopefully they have a table um they will clear the table you know as a guest they'll they'll pick up their plate those things are huge i think yeah uh in raising kids so the reason I said in the title of the book, it, it's for diabetics and the people who love them, because I don't want you eating alone. I don't want anybody eating alone. And I don't want I don't want people preparing one thing for grandma, another thing for dad, mm. something else for the baby, something else for the school age kids. Come on. That's crazy. You know, you need to be able to put a meal on the table with help that works for everybody. And you can. Um, and my book, I don't think is the only one like this, but my recipes, I mean, I've got mac and cheese in there. I have, um, pancakes, soups and soups are a thing that I would love to see more American families doing. They, you know, in Europe, you're eating soup all the time. Americans, not so much, but soups are a great way to, to put tons of vegetables on the table. And um, you, I, of course, would love to see people eating vegetables three times a day, which people always look at me like, oh, come on. You can absolutely do it and love it. It's delicious. 
Um, but if you make a big giant pot of genius soup, which is a recipe in the book that I, I hope you'll try, it's easy, it's basic. Make this big pot of a, it's a, it's vegetables and a vegetable broth, and you can season it all different ways. And then Monday night you put some stuff in it, you put some beans in it, you make a, a bean kind of thing. Tuesday night you put some pasta in it, make pasta kind of thing. Wednesday night maybe you make a Mexican. So it's having a few tricks but basing your meals on vegetables and not basing your meals on meat. Um, I am no longer a strict vegan. I was for a little while. And the story there is that I had the, the book about, I don't know, three quarters written. And I took it upon myself. To, I, I'm not even sure why, but I decided I had to go to this conference in Oakland, the Plantricians Conference, which was a thousand medical docs from all over the world who believed that we needed to do more healing with food. And I thought, okay, sign me up. Showed up there and for five days, I watched PowerPoints, which ordinarily, believe me, is not something I would do for fun. <laughs> but I watched these PowerPoints from eight in the morning till eight at night of these MDs, many of them surgeons, some of them teared up as they told the stories of doing surgeries on eight, nine, 10 year old kids, opening them up and finding their veins full of plaque mm. and how shocked they were. And then they realized that this was a thing that was happening more and more. And this is a result of eating animal fats. Um, so, as this conference went on and I watched these incredible presentations with all so much data, more data, more data, it became clear that really with diabetes, the problem is not carbs. And again, I'm sure you know this, Andre, you've been studying this for a long time, but so many years, they've, it, it's been carbs with diabetes and you were to limit your carbs. And as long as you kept your carbs controlled, you were going to be okay. Well, guess what? That's not the thing. Um, yes, you should control the quality of the carbs that you eat. You should never eat carbs that are up there in the glycemic index and going to spike you. So the processed stuff. But what they have discovered is that the reason many of us or most of us can't use the glucose in our system and so it ends up running around in our blood and causing problems is because it's blocked by animal fat around the cells that need to do that work and uptake that um, glucose so that was a head scratcher for me i wow that turned me around big time and i got in the car with my husband on my way home he picked me up and i said guess what <laughs> which husbands never want to hear but I said I'm vegan <laughs> he, he looked at me like they do and he said you know what I'm in okay um and so for and I had just had my blood work done so I knew what my numbers were and for six months I did not touch animal products of any kind didn't eat any animal products and sure enough went back to see my doctor got my blood work done and guess what I had dropped three points in my hemoglobin A1C numbers. And my physician, who'd been with me for a long time, said, that just doesn't happen in people your age, Lynn. 
And of course, I loved hearing that. (laughs) Well, it just did. You just saw it. It happened. After that, I continued pretty much vegan, but I found I wanted to add, we live on the coast. And so I had some salmon and I had some shrimp and I had kept those things in my diet. And I kept some egg whites in my diet and an occasional egg from a neighboring chicken whose name I know. Uh, So I know it's a good egg. And I'm fine. And I think that that's probably a formula that works for a lot of people. It's a sort of, I think they call it pescatarian formula, but I'm reading more and more that it's considered um, just swell for most people. And you always want to know where your food came from, you know, and the salmon needs to be wild caught, not farmed and blah, blah, blah. There's a recipe in the book for how to cook it quickly, simply not mess up your kitchen. Turns out great. Um, and so the book is not strictly vegan, but it is plant-based whole food, which is what so many people are talking about now, which is just to reverse things so that you don't think about meat first. You think about vegetable products and fruits first. And people always say to me, well, you eat a lot of fruit for a diabetic. Well, fruit's fine. You know, fruit's good food. Fruit comes with a lot of fiber. So your body needs to work a little harder to process the sugar in most fruits. Some are higher up than others on the glycemic index, which by the way, I keep referring to that. And if you don't already know about that, it's, it's a numerical index that tells you how quickly a food reacts in your system to get into your blood. And so the the higher a food is on that glycemic index, the worse it is, the more you wanna stay away from it if you are watching your blood glucose. So, but overall, if you're eating two, maybe even three fruits a day, if you're not just going crazy, and if you're eating whole fruits, that is to say you're eating the skin, you're not eating uh, juice, I would never ever suggest fruit juice to anybody, Uh, except I will say there is orange juice in my pancake recipe, Uh, but it's spread through a whole recipe and there isn't that much of it. And also orange zest, which makes the pancakes fantastic, by the way. Um, So yes, glycemic index is something you want to know about, pay attention to. And uh, I think medicals are getting better about talking nutrition with heart patients and diabetic patients, but Overall, you you need to be in charge. You know, you need to really be reading up, looking up, and understanding how food is going to keep you well, uh, as well as happy <laughs> and full. And you you don't absolutely need to starve. I mean, you don't need to. I don't go hungry, but I don't eat at night either. Um, you don't. You skip like a dinner or a light meal, or what time are you done eating? I am usually, and this is the thing I wanted to bring up because I learned this from an Ayurvedic doc friend of mine, Manish. Um, And what he taught me was that your digestive system is hot and ready to roll and running in the middle of the day. And it's very dependent on your circadian rhythm. Mm -hmm. And so whatever you eat from eight, nine in the morning until two, three, maybe four in the afternoon, your system is ready to, okay, bring it on. Okay. I got it. Digesting. Okay. 
and you're, you're working it off. And then it starts to slow down. And by five or six in the evening, it's done. It doesn't want any more. And it struggles as you continue to pile food in it. It has other work to do, but now it's going, now they're bringing in more. Here's more. It's like the guy that brings his car in at 545 when the garage is closing. You know, no, not going to work. Um, and so I took that seriously and I started experimenting with stopping all my food. Husband's okay with this too. He can snack as long as I don't see him. It's okay. But I don't, I don't eat after I try to quit by four at the latest, sometimes three, sometimes even earlier. And I find that I'm not hungry. You know, you might think about food because the rest of the world is thinking about food, but I've eaten plenty of good food by then and I'm, and I'm fine. And then you go to bed basically on an empty stomach and you will sleep better, which is another thing as a holistic practitioner, I know you know that food isn't just food. You eat better if you sleep better and you sleep better if you eat better. It's, it's all related all the time. You can't separate any of those elements at either your movement, your exercise, your exposure to the sun, your food, the timing. It's all one thing. You can't just pick it apart and choose part of it, you know, that you're going to do, hopefully you'll do all of it as one thing for your body. So now I don't eat at night. And, and the other lovely thing for many of us, and of course, at my age, this is much easier, but no dinner dishes, <laughs> no mess. <laughs> it's, it's all clean and nice. And, and then when I wake up in the morning for breakfast, it's all beautiful. And I can start again. Because who wants to do a stack of greasy dishes at eight, nine o'clock at night, right? I never, I, I thought that was horrible. I hated that. Um, so uh, I, I recommend it both from a health viewpoint and from a way to run your kitchen really well viewpoint. I think it works fine, mm -hmm. but it's unusual. People, people are a little shocked by that. So do you do any like food journaling or counting calories? Cause I know in the West, you know, that's something that, you know, it's quite common. So how do you kind of keep track of that? Or is it just very intuitive? Um, I hate homework. <laughs> I hate homework. I, I have no interest in keeping track of any of that. And as a person who's made my living as a writer, I've never journaled. <laughs> How's that? Um, <laughs> I just don't, there, there was never, again, I, I was a single mother of three. And so my habits were largely developed by getting through a day, very demanding work life, three kids, uh, very close in age and a house. And I was determined that we were not going to live in squalor, you know, that it would be clean and somewhat tidy. Um, and that's a challenge. So something like journaling, <laughs> well, I, I would rather sleep. <laughs> right? given a choice between journaling and sleep give me the sleep every time um but no and i don't want anybody else to measure anything if they unless and uh, in my book i give nutritional uh you know the, the the outline the box that tells you what's nutritional quote unquote in each recipe and i do it for a couple specific reasons i know that people for example who have kidney problems and might be on dialysis, they have to watch their potassium. So that's in there. 
Some people, blood pressure, they want to watch their sodium. So that's in there. People are curious about how much protein is in stuff because they're always worried if I'm eating vegetables, I'm like, you know, maybe I'm not getting enough protein. So that's in there. But what I learned doing that was, and it's T. Colin Campbell's writings that really affected what I wrote. There, you, you cannot give a precise value for a food stuff and have it be accurate. Two carrots raised in two fields you know, with two different sets of seeds and two, they will not have the same nutritional profile. No way. And it can vary hugely between real live things, how much protein there is in them or how much potassium is in them. This is not an exact science. So it's a sort of a false sense of security to look at that nutrition box and go, oh, good. So I'm getting, you know, 437 uh, milligrams of the no, you might be, but you likely are not getting that exact amount. But if you're eating whole foods and they are plant-based plants, you know, you're okay. It doesn't matter if you eat this carrot or that carrot. They're both carrots and they're both great, you know? And, and okay, but here's the thing, organic, yes, organic does matter. Um, absolutely, the soil that food was grown in. And so in the book, I talk a lot about how to source your food, where to buy your food. And if you are buying from a neighborhood, the community service agriculture organization, a CSA, if you're buying from a farmer's market, uh, you can much better know the quality of the food that you're buying and be pretty sure it's good. And I highly recommend that you get your food from those places. If you're buying from a market, a supermarket where they will talk to you about your produce, great. But supermarkets in this country are literally designed to waylay you nutritionally. I mean, it's marketing. So, and I, I don't usually go in supermarkets because of my life, but I did the other day because I needed to for something. And I walked in and realized that I had to walk about a mile and a half through the bakery around. And, and then I turned left and there was another mile and a half through the liquor department. A couple of aisles seemed like more than two aisles, just liquor as far as I could see. And then you turn the corner. Now you're going down the frozen food aisle with ice cream on the right and frozen meals on the left. And, then, and way back in the corner, you can barely find it is the celery and the arugula and the tomatoes, you know. But meanwhile, they want me to have filled my cart with the cereals, the baked goods, the booze. That's where the money is, you know. There's, there's really not a lot of money in celery when you think about it. Um, it's not a high profit margin item, nor is arugula. I also talk about growing your food and I hope everybody will at least have a two or three pots of something in their house. If you're in an apartment, whatever, grow some parsley in a pot, you know, grow some, some basil in a pot. It smells great. It's pretty. And then you can snip some off and put it on your food. Uh, so, and raised beds are easy to install and kids love doing that. If the parent loves doing it and we'll show them, how to do it. 
is a huge thing in a family. Mm, I love that. Those are, those are great tips. And I, um, you know, kind of want to circle, I guess, circle back to the one thing you had mentioned earlier, because this is something that I kind of butt up against a lot in Ayurveda is you had mentioned, what about the protein and, you know, putting protein in your recipes? What right. do you say to people when, cause I, I, again, like when I'm like plant-based and, you know, I'll eat meat on occasion, but you know, not every meal and not daily. Right. And, right. you know, people get concerned. Well, where do you get your protein from? You know, how do you kind of respond right. to that? Right. Well, and a thing I, this is, this is kind of naughty, but a lot of times I'll say, look at me. <laughs> do I look like I'm suffering and unhealthy? <laughs> you know, no, um, I don't. Um, uh, you still there? Andrew? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's my brother calling of all things. Um, and I forgot that I always take all my stuff out, um, but uh, I didn't because I'm in a trailer, as you know, in Reno. But anyway, um, there are so many easy ways to quickly add protein to your food. And a favorite one I'd love everybody to think about doing is something called nutritional yeast flakes. I keep them big bag in my pantry and it, and they take, it's kind of salty and it's kind of, it's got a cheesy taste like a Parmesan cheese. And I sprinkle it on all kinds of things. Um, and, and, and eggs, you know, or egg whites or a salad or uh, cooked vegetables. I use it liberally and two tablespoons of the yeast flakes, which can very easily be sprinkled on something, is eight grams of protein. So right there um, is a lot of good quality protein. I do eat egg whites, um, and I eat. If you if if you read labels on things, you'll see that if you're eating nut butter, you're eating and I have lots of, of um, suggestions for nut butter and baked goods with nut butter filled with protein. If you're just eating a handful of nuts filled with protein, um, I have a new, a new thing that I love to carry with me now in my purse. Cause I also suggest to people never go anywhere without food, always carry something with you. Don't show up hungry because that's where we go wrong. You know, um, and it's the jerky made from food, from real food, mushrooms and um, other plant-based uh, origins. These jerkies, soy, I don't mind soy at all. Soy is full of protein, but um, there's a brand called Moku that I really like uh, and they're yummy and they're, they, they're convenient to carry around. Uh, vegetables have protein in them. Seeds have protein in them. And you'll find that you'll be eating more seeds if you eat this way. It's expanding what you're eating and not counting. Oh, and of course I eat, not every day, but I eat the impossible burger, beyond burger kinds of things uh, for a little taste of a sausage once in a while or uh, to have a, a burger. And what you find you can do is that just becomes the basis of a vegetable dish it's very easy to throw a little impossible burger in a pan with some mushrooms and some onions and it's fabulous you know it's a really quick uh yummy and i have vegetable broth at hand all times to throw in a pot in a skillet with something instead of butter 
I use vegan cheeses and vegan butters. They're delicious. There are all kinds of new products coming out now. That is, but read the label. Uh, be sure you know what's in them. And there's a brand called Kite Hill that I like, K-I-T-E-H-I-L-L, that has a veggie dip that is really fantastic. And uh, they also make a ricotta and a cream cheese. So if you start looking and ask wherever you shop, ask for this stuff. Why aren't you carrying more, you know, plant-based stuff? Why I'm I need vegan stuff. Tell them what you want. Uh, otherwise they don't know and they won't carry it and then buy it there. Uh, but there's plenty of stuff out there full of protein. You just need to, you know, become acquainted with what the stuff is. And my book talks a lot about it, but in general, if you're eating a good mix of plant-based whole foods with some soy milk with, I mean, oatmeal is full of protein. It's full of protein, but you have to make oatmeal yourself with real oats. <laughs> you can't buy the kind on the cereal shelf that's full of sugar. You have to make it yourself. And and I there's a there's a a recipe in the book for granola that I think everybody will love. And I love granola, but I looked, I absolutely searched the grocery store to see if there was a single bag or box of granola that I could include in my diet and there was not because everyone had a lot of sugar in it and so make it yourself it's easy it's delicious you can customize it you if you want coconut in there great you don't if you don't want coconut don't do it but it's full of nuts and oatmeal so it's brilliant protein great way to start your day or end your day absolutely delicious I also my um I, there's a pie recipe for pumpkin pie that is loaded with protein because it has a nut crust and it's got pumpkin in it and um <laughs> obviously pumpkin pie spices and you can make these things with eggs or egg substitutes i give directions for that so protein shouldn't be a problem and the book tells you how Perfect. And if anyone's wondering, you know, where to find it, Amazon, you know, you can find brownies for breakfast. Um, you can connect with Lynn on her website, which I believe is just your name. It is. It's just be careful to add the E to Lynn. Lynn Bowman, B-O-W-M-A-N.com. Uh, love hearing from people. I don't have a ton of recipes. I'm adding more on the website, but I, I love to get your requests. And um it's always great to talk to people about how this is working for them. So let me know how it goes. I love that. Well, I just have one final question. I always like to do a weekly challenge. And when I have guests on, I have you throughout the weekly challenge to all the listeners. So what mm -hmm. would you like that challenge to be this week, Lynn? All right. This is, it sounds really scary, totally <laughs> doable. And um, it will change your life. Eat greens, dark greens, three times a day. Mm -hmm. I love it. I don't think we've had that one either. Perfect. Well, and thank you. It, it, the, the book tells you how you can't believe how yummy it will be, but it's a huge life changer for you, your, your health. I highly recommend it. 
Well, thank you. Uh, well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Lynn, and sharing all of your wisdom and um, about your book. Thank you. Thank you for welcoming me. Thank you so much. Yeah. And everyone go out there and spread your peaceful power. <laughs>